0: This is Blood Bank, a podcast where hospital workers share a story from an experience in medicine that has stayed with them, and then they tell us why. I'm Amanda Rubano, and I'm a medical student at the University of Rochester. Today, we'll hear a story from Kevin Boyd about embracing the messiness of life, as well as the enduring power of human connection, even in the face of death. Kevin is the Associate Director of Chaplaincy Services at the University of Rochester Medical Center. He is a supervisor in the Clinical Pastoral Education Program, as well as a faculty member in the Division of Medical Humanities and Bioethics. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Amanda. Uh, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, You know, can you tell us why you chose this story?
1: Um, uh, probably because it's a story that came very early in my career, but it's one that I find myself returning to and telling to my own students uh, today. This um, is a story about the messiness of life uh, and an experience that challenged my perceptions about the need for things to be neat and
2: tidy. Um, it also challenged my notions about life and death and the firmness of the boundary between those two things.
0: Excellent. We're looking forward to hearing it. So I'm going to tell you a story that takes place in Chicago,
1: which is where I did my training. And um, the context uh, for that is important because Chicago, like Rochester, has a pretty um, prolific Roman Catholic uh, population. Um, And the people I'm telling the story about uh, were lifelong Catholics. The other context piece of this story that's important is that it takes place on um, Ash Wednesday. Uh, For the many listeners out there who may not be familiar with Ash Wednesday, um, it's actually the liturgical day on the Christian calendar um, that marks the beginning of the season of Lent, which is a period of um, sort of reflection um, and preparation, uh, which ends with Easter. So, on Ash Wednesday, um, you have undoubtedly at some point probably seen uh, people walking around with um, crosses of ash on their foreheads. Um, this was not a thing I grew up with as a little churchy Baptist, um, but in uh, more liturgical communities, something you see. So, Ash Wednesday, well, back up first, Ash uh, Wednesday, yeah. Um, I was uh, serving as a chaplain on a unit. Uh, and I met a woman, um, and she was there for one of those sort of um, unidentifiably amorphous diseases that no one could quite put their finger on what was going on with her. And she had been in a hospital for quite some time and was getting pretty frustrated just with A, not knowing, and B, still being there. And um, she was an older lady. Um, her and her husband um, came from Italian families, they had married. Many years ago, lived um, in the neighborhood of the hospital where I worked uh, in Chicago. She was just a hoot. Um, you know, some people found her difficult, I think, um, but her and I got along really well. Um, and over the days and weeks that she was there, um, developed a pretty strong relationship. And I came to know her husband also pretty well during that time. He was a he was a regular visitor, um, and so I knew the two of them. About a week before Ash Wednesday, so this is probably sometime in February of that year, um, her condition got a lot worse, very suddenly, and she moved from the floor um, to the make you to the medical ICU. And um, the prognosis for her remained unclear, it wasn't clear why her organs were failing or what was going on or why she was getting more confused, but she was. Um, and. I followed the family down, even though the ICU wasn't necessarily my unit. I had such a long-standing relationship with them that I uh, continued to visit. Um, And um, as she became more ill, I met more of her family because more people were showing up to see about her. So I met some of her children and her grandchildren. As we got probably to the day, maybe two days before Ash Wednesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, um, her condition took a significant Turn for the worse, um, and she became mostly unresponsive. This is probably the day before Ash Wednesday, and uh, I remember visiting them that um, early that afternoon. And her family was all assembled. There were um, children and grandchildren,
0: and they were reading out
1: loud to her. And um, her daughter was reading um, Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets, <laughs> and um, they were coming up to, but not quite yet, at the part where Harry puts it all together and realizes that Tom Riddle was actually Voldemort. And I remember this thought strikes me as an odd thought maybe to have at the time, but I was really worried that she wasn't um, going to survive to hear the end of the story. She wasn't going to know who Voldemort really was. And that offended my sensibilities, um, because I like things to be uh, bookended. I like symmetry. Asymmetry has always bothered me, <laughs> and it felt like there was going to be unfinished business because she was never going really to come to the story. And I spent the day with them, and um, as I was getting ready to leave, the, her husband said to me, "You know, um, I hope you we'll come back tomorrow to Kings I said, "Absolutely." And and then he said something um,
2: that I still remember. Um, he said, "I, you know, I think she like to die on National's Day." And then he said, "We haven't missed getting our ashes together in 50 years." And so I left and thought about that the whole night, <laughs> thinking, "Like, oh crap! First of all, I hope she's still alive when I get there in the morning. But also, just
1: thinking um, about the responsibility I felt—they haven't missed getting their ashes in 50 years together." So um, fast forward to a long night of me not sleeping very well. And uh, I rushed in in the morning, uh, you know, got in the two bus downtown, Green Line, Pink Line, Medical Center stop. Rushed over to the office, pull up the census, and see that her name is still on it. She's still in the queue, right? So, oh, well, thank God. So um, I, I, I gathered my stuff and, and ran over to the queue.
2: And as I got there, her husband was standing outside the door, and um, and he said to me, he said, "Oh, the man I was looking for." She just passed, and I remember thinking, I failed. I didn't, I didn't make it back in time. And she's not gonna get her ashes for the first time in 50 years. But I went to the room, because the rest of the family was all still there, and um,
1: I gave ashes to everyone else but it just felt sort of
2: hollow to me, sort of powerless, impotent, you know, just this, this ritual. Um, because I was too late. And so I finished, um, everybody, and the husband last, and I was kind of on my way, making my way towards the door. I was going to leave. And, and he says to me, where are you going? And I stopped and turned around. And I realized he was waiting on me to put the ashes on his wife. Now there's likely all kinds of theological problems (laughs) (laughs) with um, administering ashes to a person who's
1: already dead. Um, But I have to say actually that it it made perfect sense to me. Um, One of the things that at least we said in that hospital, and it's pretty common with me when you're putting ashes on someone's head, um, as you make the sign of the cross, you say, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it always feels awkward to say that to like a living person, or a, like a child, like a young person. It feels sort of powerful, but also a little weird and creepy. But it felt even more strange to say it to a woman who was
2: already dead, Because I felt like I was telling her something she already knew. (laughs) (laughs) But as as I put the ashes on her, it's hard to describe, but everything sort of changed. I realized that I wasn't late. Um, And I realized that she didn't miss getting her ashes. And I realized that the weird boundaries between life and death and the connections that span them are not as final as I thought they were. But they were a lot more mixed up. Um, And that in a way, even though, yes, she was dead, Putting those ashes on her at the same time I did with all the rest of her family, connected her to them in an extremely powerful way. And all of my sensibilities about the tidiness of life, or the bookendedness or how things need to be, kind of didn't matter. And what I used to think about this ritual sort of vanished into something else, you know, a reminder of our mortality, which it is, but also a reminder of the ability to remain connected in a certain way, even in the face of the force that we think is the most disconnected, being a death. And so I put we the ashes on it, and everyone gathered around the bed, and I said, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I guess, you know, you, to dust, you are returning. And I left. And, um, I was actually supposed to, I was supposed to, um,
1: do the sermon that day for the Ash Wednesday service, which is like the only service anyone ever attended in the hospital. <laughs> and I had the whole thing written up. And um, I had about an hour and a half before that service
2: started. I went back to the office, uh, and I just threw it all away. And I came up and said, with the family's permission, went back and made sure it was okay. I said, I think I just experienced Ash Wednesday for the first time. And I've actually preached that sermon almost every Ash Wednesday since. Um, as a reminder to myself about the um, finitude of human existence but also the possibility for that existence to stretch on and remain connected over time that's my story
0: and i thank you greatly and i think you know more than that i'm i'm really struck by our proximity um, to death in this hospital and how we kind of effortlessly float in and out of it. And we have these days where we'll be confronted with mortality and really and how one handles that, whether they isolate themselves from it or they, you know, accept something that you have been preaching for the whole time, which is this notion of to dust we shall return. and Really, at what hour does that, does that sink in? Do you think there was ever a time where you would overlook that because it was uncomfortable?
1: I don't know if I would have overlooked it because it was uncomfortable. I think I would have overlooked it because the baked-in meaning was that I had brought to it was lost. Um, and I wouldn't have been open to the new meaning. To the, to the redefinition of what Ask Wednesday can mean, right? I mean, Ask Wednesday is designed for living people and she's not living. And so, right, my initial impulse when the husband told me he was dead, sort of all game over, like I failed, it's too late. And I would've just sort of walked away thinking like, oh, that sucks. Instead, it, for whatever reason in that moment, I had the capacity, or, or I think I, the capacity was given to me by the family. I mean, they're the ones who opened the door Right, I was going to walk out after I gave them all their ashes. And husband like, "Where are you going? You he forgot hers." She doesn't. Mr. Ashes in fifty years buddy.
0: Right.
1: He offered the possibility of reinterpreting a symbol, which is in most fundamentally what sort of religious life or thinking is all about. It's it's our use of symbolic language to try and understand that which is not understandable. So symbols are always changing, growing, and evolving, and becoming something. And I had sort of, I think because I didn't grow up with that symbol, I I was kind of locked into like, oh, it's just this, it means this thing. Right. And he invited me to say, no, it can mean something else.
2: And I participated in that something else and realized, oh yeah, that's actually far more powerful. Um, And and so I, I guess maybe the analog to what you're saying about death is that I think sometimes here we. I'm aware that in the hospital sometimes we make a lot of assumptions about someone's dying. Um, Either the process itself, or what it means for them, or what it means for their family. More often than not, we're at least partially, if not pretty significantly wrong, (laughs) about those assumptions. And if we set our own biases or fears or hopes aside for what this will be like for us, and jump into what it's like for them, we can experience something amazing.